There was a church meeting last Tuesday and Bryony asked if she could share something. Uh, what she shared was um, something I felt that we all needed to hear. In fact, what she shared, I'm going to embarrass her, uh, but what she shared was so good I felt that it ought to have been a podcast and on our website something that other people should hear. So I've asked her to repeat it um, this morning because now it will be recorded and it will go out global. <laughs> She is out of her comfort zone, but God bless you. Thank you very much. Hello. Oh, what an introduction. I mean, it's lovely talking to you, but the thought of this being recorded and going further, um, yeah, is quite scary. But, but the reason I'm, I'm coming is that several Sundays back, I was in church and the, the word and the thought Gideon just came into my mind and came back again, came back again. And I started thinking the story of Gideon. And it's just fabulous. And I want to spend a few moments for us all just to go into that story. Absolutely true. Happened over a thousand years before Jesus was born. And yet when you read it, it, it it's so up to date. You know, you can so click with him. And... Uh, it's an amazing story because it, it starts with Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press, which is actually just the worst possible place because to thresh wheat, you need to be up on a hillside with a lot of wind blowing through. And there he was hidden away in the wine press. And why? Because of the enemy, because of the raiders that came to steal. And worse than that, every time the Israelites had planted crop, the Midianites and the Amalekites and other Eastern peoples would swoop down in absolute quantity. I mean, we're talking about thousands. They describe it like locusts coming. And they'd come into the Fertile Valley and they'd trample the crops. They'd kill the animals. It was really terrifying for them. And the Israelites were hiding. And uh, yet Gideon moves from that place to a place of fantastic victory over the enemy. And that's what set my heart really buzzing when I was in church, a real sense of anticipation that we're being brought into the right places um, and that victory uh, is coming. So just in that story, we start actually with, a, with um, a prophet arrived and announced that the people, the Israelites, had turned from God. God had rescued them from Egypt. He did wonderful things, and they turned away. And Gideon was obviously mulling this over, and it was in his thoughts. You know, he'd heard of the great things God had done, but it just wasn't in his experience. And that just rings a bell. Haven't we each been in a place where we hear somebody testifying of fantastic things that God has done? But is he there on Monday morning? You know, is that in our experience? And this visitor arrives and sits under the oak tree called the Angel of the Lord. He sits there and he seems to come straight in at the place that Gideon's thinking and says, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. And Gideon says, well, why haven't these great things happened here in, in my time? And it's just such a brilliant story because you, you sets you wondering, now, who is this visitor? At first, it's the Angel of the Lord. Then he calls him the Lord. And then Gideon says, more or less, well, please show me a sign if you are who I think you are. And that reminded me when, when Mark was saying about seeing the queen. You know, if the queen arrived, perhaps we wouldn't be quite bold enough to say, excuse me, are you the queen? 
but you know, if you are who, who I think you are, and uh, and when uh, Gideon brought a meal and placed it before the visitor, he touched it with his staff, and, and the flames came out of the rock and consumed it, and then he disappeared. And Gideon got the message, <laughs> but then he panicked that he'd seen God, and he said, "I've seen." the face of the angel and the Lord said peace you won't die and what's so lovely I think is the conversation he'd having one-to-one with this visitor carried on the visitor had gone but the conversation with the Lord went on and it went on and it went on and every time that that Gideon was anxious which he frequently was he took it straight to the Lord and each time the Lord asked, answered him Never rebuked him, just answered him. And so this man with anxieties became a man of great faith because he came to know God. And each time he obeyed him, and, and then his faith grew, and it's, it, it, it went from strength to strength. But each time he was anxious, and God had to reassure him again. And then the, his faith grew even further. So that, that's the beginning. And he... He faced a big challenge because, yes, his father had actually made the altar to Baal and he put up the Asherah pole. These detestable practices that they've been warned against. And in the night, uh, Gideon, with his ten men, brought down that altar and he brought down that Asherah pole, which was really, really put him in danger. But the lovely thing is, that his father stood by him. His father actually protected him when the men of the uh, town came and wanted to kill him for what he'd done. His father protected him. He brought down the oppression that was over his family. And I think that pole may have been there for years, maybe as long as he'd known this thing had towered above him. And we've got things. I've had things in my life that perhaps we think are just part of the scenery because they've been there so long. But actually, they're above us. They're towering over us. They're dictating to us. They have no right. We only have one Lord, and we do not need another. And, and Baal brought with it the promises, I think, of agriculture and fertility, all sorts of things. And it's an irony, really, that the people had turned from God, the living God who gives, to this, these idols that actually brought them down didn't fulfill. It's a delusion. It's a, um, it's a trick. So Gideon's in that place. And then he, he musters everyone to come uh, to face the Midianites who have invaded and come into the land. And lots of people respond. But the Lord said, they're too many because you'll say, oh, we did it ourselves. And then you won't realize the miracle. You won't realize that God is for you. And when God is for us, nothing's impossible. When we know him, we trust him. And so he allowed, God said, let those whose hearts aren't in it, those who are afraid of the enemy, they can go home. And again, I think that's just so lovely because God is not a God who forces us to do anything. He invites us to do something. He gives us permission. And what we know of authority so often is tangled up with control 
and manipulating and telling people what they must do. And our God is just so different. He's a God of true freedom. And so 22,000 went, and they were down in numbers, and then he found another way of bringing it down to just 300. And that's the last lot left. They left their trumpets, and they left the provisions, it says. And so each of the 300 had a trumpet and the provisions. And there's a sort of equality in that, isn't there? Each person was to find their place. Each person was provided for. And when they faced the enemy, they went out into the dark. They surrounded them, 300 round this, 35,000 it might have been. They surrounded them. And they had the light in their uh, clay jars. And they had the trumpet. And they were just doing what Gideon did. And Gideon was doing what God had told him to do. Just following and being together. I think that's special too, being together. And that place where actually we smashed those jars. They smashed them and held the light. And the enemy could see. And they blew the trumpets and they shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And the lovely thing is, they weren't actually waving a physical sword. The weapons we use are not the weapons of the world. They're spiritual weapons of praise and joy and trust and the spirit. And it's not by power or by might, but by his spirit. And I just, I really commend the courage of those men who stood. That's what they were asked to do. Show the light. Lift up the light, blow the trumpet, proclaim the Lord, and stand. And the enemy was routed. They panicked. They fought each other, and they fled. And there was a great victory. And somehow that's just so different from when he was in the wine press, putting in the absolute maximum effort. You know, haven't we been there? Just trying to fit in with all the the rules and the regulations and uh, uh, for the minimum of results it, it was stolen by the one who comes to rob and to steal and to kill and yet when he stood in the light proclaiming the name of the Lord there was an amazing result and they just stood and I found that so heartening absolutely lovely and I had just a tiny bit of reassurance, well, it was a big bit of reassurance to me, but it won't seem so big to you, I expect. But when I was thinking, God, is this, you know, is this what I'm sharing? Is this really what I'm to bring? Um, please, can you, please, can you endorse that? And, uh, and then, do you know how you get that sneaky thought that says, well, what if he doesn't? <laughs> That's the enemy, isn't it? Uh, I... I wrote, I forgot that I prayed that, and I, I spent some time in prayer, and I wrote down, I, I think the, the whole, uh, the, the most exciting thing of this is that we're getting into the right places now, and I will be holding up the light and standing in that circle. So I went through this written on my card to the computer room to type it up, and on the way I saw the radio, and I thought, oh, it's tuned on Christian radio on Premier, I'll just switch it on, and it'll encourage me for a moment while I set up the computer. And I switched it on, and the words were, and they held up the light, and they stood in the circle, and they proclaimed a sword <laughs> for the Lord and for Gideon. 
so God really does hear us. And the other thing, about sort of these sneaky thoughts that try and steal the moment. You know, in the hard place, it's so easy to think, well, when things get better, then I'll have time for, for God, you know, and I'll be the, the perfect person, you know, I'll work towards it anyhow. But things are too difficult. But it's in the hard place that, that Gideon found the Lord. And I want to encourage anyone who's right now in that hard place, that God hears you. He knows everything. He knows how to join in that conversation. And it's in the hard place that he, he is so close. And I think there's something special about the hard place, and that is that we do lose our pride. There's a, there's a pivotal place where Gideon stopped putting his trust in himself or in his town, but in the Lord. And then he brought down Baal. So, yeah, just be encouraged that we have a light that is God himself. The light that the darkness cannot overcome. And he, the Lord, has such compassion on us, such a love for the neighborhood, such a love for people. And he is the one who will free us from the one who comes to rob us. Our amazing God. I'm just going to give you a minute just to um, simulate some of the stuff that's been said. while you're doing that, I'm going to ask some people to join me. I'm going to ask uh, Matthew to join me, and Nicola, and Rob, and uh, who else did I ask? Of me. <laughs> Thank you. What Gideon and his people did, they smashed they smashed the thing covering their light. Do you remember what Jesus said about a light is not lit to be put underneath a thing, but it's to be lifted up high? That's what Gideon did. And he shouted out for the Lord. Now that's what happened on the day of Pentecost too. Uh, the Spirit came and people began to shout out for the Lord. So we've got Maki here who represents Albania. Uh, we've got uh, Slovakian. Uh, we've got a Greek scholar, we've got a Romanian not scholar, and we've got Swahili. So I'm going to ask each one just to speak out um, a scripture in that other language and then tell you what it actually means. And then we're all going to do it together in the loudest voice we can muster because that's what it was like on the first Pentecost, okay? Let's start with some Albanian. Albanian. 
immediate investment that the nation spends. Wow, what did that mean? When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one mind and the same place. Thank you. Slovakian. Which means? The God's soul of the world, sorry, there is only begotten son, but whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Greek. I, I'm reading, you may recognize this, from chapter Ioanne, N-R-K, E-Halogos, Kai Halogos, E-Tos Konteon, Kai Theos, E-Halogos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Swahili. Meaning? Harvoa si pace della donazio tarl nostru, si della domno nostru, Jesus Christos. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And now all together. Harvoa si pace della donazio tarl nostru, si della domno nostru, Jesus Christos. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. On the day of Pentecost, the good news of Jesus went global. When it was announced centuries beforehand that the Messiah would come, nobody knew the day nor the hour. When Christ was born, angels sang in the heavens, but the Christ was hidden for 30 years. Actually, God was saying, my plan is up and running, but it's not publicly launched yet. So Christ was hidden in Bethlehem, he was hidden in Egypt, then he was hidden in Nazareth, because can any good thing come from Nazareth? And then the good news was launched publicly through John the Baptist, who stood up and announced, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It ended at a cross and started again on a day of resurrection. And then after Jesus had appeared to his disciples for 40 days and left them for 10 days waiting, the day of Pentecost, that great sort of a Jewish uh, harvest festival arrived, and then the Holy Spirit was poured out, and the good news of Jesus went global. Fifteen different languages are recorded as having been spoken, um, supernaturally given to these, these fishermen and, and tax collectors as they worshipped God together in that upper room. It's going global to Latvia, to Bulgaria. It's going global. It can go global where you live and where you work. The day of Pentecost is about a promise being uh, given and received, and I have got about four minutes to tell you about it. The promise first given by Joel, was that the day would come when God would pour out his spirit on all people 
men, women, young and old, men servants, maid servants, whatever class, whatever kind of character, God would pour out his Holy Spirit, a promise given through Joel. On the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and they spoke in tongues in this way and people thought they were drunk and Peter's explanation was, God made a promise, the promise through Joel. Now, this is the fulfillment of that promise in your very hearing because Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, was raised from the dead. He's been set at God's right hand. He received from the Father the authority to pour out the promise. And now the Spirit comes from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, and it's poured out for you. And it is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. It is for you, he said, to that generation. It's for your children for the next generation. It's for all who are far off. And that includes generationally and historically and geographically. The Spirit of God, he wants to pour out on you and me. I love Eugene Peterson's introduction to the Acts of the Apostles. I'm going to read it to you. Because the story of Jesus is so impressive, God among us, God speaking a language we can understand, God acting in ways that heal and help and save us, there's a danger that we will be impressed, but only be impressed. Accompanied by music. As the spectacular dimensions of this story slowly or suddenly dawn upon us, we could easily become enthusiastic spectators and then let it go at that, becoming admirers of Jesus, generous with our oohs and ahs and in our better moments inspired to imitate him. It's Luke's task to prevent that, to prevent us from becoming mere spectators to Jesus, fans of the message of the original quartet of writers on Jesus, Luke alone continues to tell the story as the apostles and disciples live it into the next generation. The remarkable thing is that it continues to be essentially the same story. Luke continues his narration with hardly a break, a pause perhaps to dip his pen in the inkwell, writing in the same style, using the same vocabulary. The story of Jesus doesn't end with Jesus. It continues in the lives of those who believe in him. The supernatural doesn't stop with Jesus. Luke makes it clear that these Christians he wrote about were no more spectators of Jesus than Jesus was a spectator of God. They are in on the action of God. God acting in them. God living in them. Which also, of course, means in us. So, Gideon was hidden in a wine press for fear of the enemy. Some of you and me for much of my Christian life have been hidden because of the dangers of speaking out our faith in Jesus in the place where we work or the families where we live. We've been hidden under the bushel. It's time for the message to go global. It's time for us to stop being spectators. If you are a spectator, if you are a spectator. Because I want to tell you there's a promise for you today. This is not meant to be a slap around the face. It's meant to be an encouragement to me and to you. There's a promise for you today. If you want this message to go global where you are, the promise is that he will pour out his spirit on you. He will refresh you. 
he will renew you. The things that Jesus promised to do at the beginning, his manifesto about uh, setting captives free and releasing the oppressed, he would do that for you. Because this is his promise. The Spirit is coming. Christ has died to accomplish it in you. And then if you want to tell it out, if you don't want to be a spectator, you actually want to be part of God's action. He'll fill you with the Spirit and he'll supply you with the opportunities sometimes when you least expect it and in the strangest of places and sometimes he'll meet with you in the wine press. So the children are coming back in a moment. Just a moment. We're going to give them balloons to celebrate the birth day of the church. You are the church. And uh, it would be wonderful, wouldn't it, if there was a new birthday to the church. Some of you are gasping for God. Some of you feel yourself as dry as a cinder. Some of you want to see God at work the way that Gideon wanted to see God at work but hadn't seen him for years. Well, there's a promise here. The promise is for you and for your children. You who are far off from there, there's a promise. Maybe some of you would like to to pray together afterwards. Perhaps we can meet together in this little corner and just pray together. And just pray and say, Lord, we want you to keep your promise. Not because Dave Winfield said it, but because you did it. We want you to keep your promise. We want you to wash us through again. We want you to light these fires again. We want you to saturate these dry lives again. Lord God, you want to fill us up with expectation where we've just grown weary. Lord God, we want to be part of the action, not spectators. Welcome. Come on in. Are you going to show us what you've done? Show us what you've done. Whoa, what is that? That says, trust God, be happy. And it's sticky. (laughs) Hooray. That is great. Oh. Hello. Very sticky. Hello, children. They 